Blood Bowl, Spider-Man Far From Home, and Florence. This is staying in. I want to know what it is that you are doing to cope with the fact that we are currently living in a universe where the sun from Super Mario Brothers 3 is chasing after all of us. <laughs> where, the sun, where we have angered us. the sun. Actually, <laughs> I think you'll find it's not the sun. It's actually warm air from um, Africa. Oh. Heated by said sun. It has been heated, but other factors are moving it towards us. Was that Yoshi's Island or... What? Africa? <laughs> <laughs> All right, geography not was not that. your strong point, was uh, it, Pete? Well, I, I think I, I felt fully prepared for said heat today. I've just eaten the hottest ramen I've ever had the pleasure of, <laughs> okay. of eating. Weird flex, but all right. And it's given me a weird type of indigestion and mm-hmm. the feeling that no matter what passes my lips, it tastes hot and spicy. Mm. So that's been a unique experience. I did a very, dare I say it, kind of, it felt middle class at the time. I went, okay. to, it was my mum's 60th recently and I went round to theirs and they said to me, oh, Chris, if, do you want to play croquet? I was like, Ooh. really? Croquet? I've never played Love croquet. Okay. It's just for posh, tough people, isn't it? Never played croquet in my life. It's incredible. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's an incredible. But, but how is that helping you deal with the heat? outside rather than indoors a lot of my gaming recently has been primarily indoors no 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 i think there is something about croquet that is quite cooling <laughs> it's, it's an... i mean i drank about two pints of pims while i was doing it right it's you know you're getting you know you're getting lawn drunk uh there's also it's a it's an activity so it's taking your mind off of the heat you're outside you're probably wearing linens uh, and like <laughs> I've, is anyone else getting the feeling that Pete has like a, a, a croquet wardrobe that he just breaks out in the summer like ah it's time for my croquet wear yeah it's right next yeah. to his fencing gear yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's part of my it's per yeah it's my I, I, I do urban croquet that's my uh, that's my pastime now no but it, it, it requires doesn't require that much effort at all playing croquet it's quite leisurely no, it it's does relaxing not. it's lovely yeah what requires more effort croquet or bulls Oh, balls, mate. Balls. Balls. Yeah. Particularly when you're not playing on the beach. Those things go bloody far. I, yeah. From from what I've seen of croquet, and mainly my exposure to it has been when on reality TV shows, they need to fill a couple of minutes so they get their people to like do something funny outside, like playing croquet on a posh lawn before they all go inside and slag each other off. So I've never been able to pass the rules of how croquet actually works. Can you can you sum down? Can yeah. you sum up the sport in in a very concise concise way, Chris? Yeah. Well, there's two things. One, you have to whack your ball through the hoops in a certain order. But the second bit, Sam, and this is the best bit: if your ball comes into contact with somebody else's, you get another go, and you basically can play your go again. But it has to be connected to their ball, so you can actually send their ball away miles away from where they want to go and if you connect again with another ball you get to keep going so you can actually chain it all the way from the back Ooh. a bit like mario kart you can go all the way from the back to the front yeah using other people's balls to oh, like and that. it's really cool so you think when you think you're at the back and you think there's no i've got no chance of winning this actually that's a great place to be because everyone else is in front you've basically got stuff that you can jump from 
ball to ball basically and that's called yeah. a roke when you do that that's what was the clincher for me i know i know they came up with the rest of it and that that rule came up with five to five on a friday what do we call it uh, just not the c off it um, but basically <laughs> that was the clincher for me that made me oh this is actually quite good yeah. and and my partner said you know in the future should we get a croquet set i said oh, well yes. we haven't got a lawn but um oh. other than that you could do indoor croquet I mean, I, I don't know what my my landlord would feel about me hammering hoops into the carpet. If you explained very politely, look, I wanted to do indoor croquet. I think they'd I think they'd see that as quite admirable. <laughs> well, you have the place to yourself. Do you, do you want upstairs as well? <laughs> really, really enjoyed playing. I think we played it twice in one day. It is great fun, actually. Uh, you don't have to wear linen though. What from mm. playing it? Why do you think? it has such high regard with the posher classes i genuinely think it's in part because you need a particular lawn to play it on it's like golf you can't oh. play it on any other look whereas bulls you know we've got our set of bulls we play that in on the grass area outside our flat you know it doesn't matter that it's not particularly flat or the grass is not particularly short or it's you know it's it's not you know it's not terrain in a particular way. Whereas I think croquet, you have a croquet set and you have you, you play it on a particular type of lawn. It's like you, it's not everyone has a putting green. Say for example, I think the other part of it is you have to refer to it as croquet, and you know how in different parts of the country they'll refer to things like a bath, they might refer to it as a bath, or uh, they might refer to a what's another one um path path <laughs> just a just another word that rhymes with buff yeah <laughs> tomato laugh, it's got tomato laugh. tomato tomato yeah but that's more of an american thing right like there's a there's a posho element right where some people call it a bath and some people call it a bath i'm i'm certainly a bath and i think if you can if you can if you're the sort of person who regularly is banging out bath then you're also probably the person who's going to say croquet and not croquette i don't think anyone says croquette i think unless it's I filled think... with potato i am sweating buckets gotta cool down surely you're cooling up if you're putting your sunglasses on i very much enjoyed sam hello uh, coming up to come and hang out with you oh you did and having a lovely time it was that a was a lovely my... time no one else joined us um, no <laughs> which, 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 which was surprising, considering I said, "Hey guys, I'm going to be available for oh a couple of days at most." And at this point, I was all for it. At this point of the conversation, I was all for it. Why don't we all go to? Yeah, I'm still Sam's, there. Still on board? Yeah, I'm. I'm on trainline.com. I'm booking the trains. Have a nice bit of tea. You know, you know, dinner. Having a nice time. I'm putting my credit card details. And we can spend the weekend painting miniatures. Mm. I've closed the browser. <laughs> I'm coming up with excuses. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I couldn't possibly. I've got to give a talk, says Chris. Um, <laughs> I, I was watching Ireland. my hair. Ireland. <laughs> Quickly go, goes to EasyJet. Where's the nearest flight? Get island? me out of here. <laughs> Calls all of the universities in Ireland. Please, someone let me talk here. Some, somebody, for God's sake, put on a conference about walking. Actually, I, 
I do now look upon that weekend incredibly fondly for how relaxing and just sedate is the wrong kind of word, but it was just ah, oh, it was it was that kind of one of those kind of weekends that I haven't had since I was a teenager where I've just felt like I had all the time in the world, and all the time in the world, hanging out with your pals, yeah, doing you know abusing solvents, yeah, all. <laughs> All, all, all of the things, and 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 that doing something does. that which its net contribution to anything outside of it was practically zero. Yeah, like that's beautiful. Isn't it? The, the the actual art of painting miniatures is only there to satisfy one one need and whatever value it has outside of that is negligible. But it was beautiful. It was it was worth it for that for that experience. So yeah, you came up yeah. and we had some delicious. Thai food. Lovely Thai food. And then the next day we went to Element Games in Stockport, which is yes. one of my favourite bits because when you realised that this shop existed and was only half an hour drive away, I've never seen you so excited about. I was I was genuinely thrilled. So um, Element Games, if you are into the hobby, capital T, capital H, uh, then you will have heard of Element Games because mm-hmm. they are they basically sell miniatures and stuff at a discount on the normal rrp and they're just the standard things not secondhand or anything like that they're just like really good discount and also they have an amazing stock and i always thought they were just a warehouse uh but it turns out they're just a really big shop uh and um and like half of i I guess half of it is like a shop and then half of it or maybe a bit more than that is a massive gaming area Mm -hmm. Um, and we went there when they were doing. So there was a just so happened to be a, a Star Wars. Legion. I want to say Legion, yeah, yeah. Uh, Legion tournament on, and uh, so this is like a fantasy flight Star Wars tabletop game. It's basically toy soldiers, but with Star Wars, right? And uh, so that was on, and there were a load of people there. Yeah, it was buzzing. It was a buzzing. Um, so saw lots of really cool bits. Of, so they've obviously got all the terrain there and these big gaming boards and all this dedicated space so you can go there and have this have this fun time with your with your little stormtroopers and your who else is in it the uh, uh, the uh, the um, who else is in Star Wars Ewoks the Ewoks I'm assuming they're Ewoks in it. versus stormtroopers possibly <laughs> who knows it's um, all about numbers Chris it's how the dice roll so anything um, could happen. <laughs> so that that was really cool we saw all that and obviously we were there to be in the big toy shop um, yes. to buy a load of nice things so i picked up a couple of bits and pieces and and i was there basically sam to provide you emotional support yeah it was supervisory really yeah no, i was no. here's the thing the whole thing with this with this miniatures and painting and having a fun tabletop experience thing is i have found that keeping on pushing and pushing and pushing people to do it 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 takes such an investment of time and effort that basically like this isn't it's not an easy go it's not like try this comic book it's like hey spend 40 hours (laughs) painting these things like that's not that's not an easy easy sell to a lot of people so i was very much like okay we'll we'll go then we'll figure it out and friend of the podcast ricardo uh he was with us uh and he was getting very excited Mm. um about paints which was very exciting to see. And um, and then, yeah. So what did you get, Sam, in the end? Well, I originally went there in to go and get a kill team, which is a variant of Warhammer, which is 
So when you're playing, I guess you would call and feel free to shout or have some sort of buzzer at the ready when I say something wrong at this point, Pete. Yep. I don't know what that buzzer sounds like. It sounds, it sounds like, like ah, 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 um, oh, I okay. think you'll find. <laughs> it's quite a long buzzer, but <laughs> 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 I just feel like I should say something wrong now too. <laughs> um, I originally, yeah, I originally went in there to go and get a kill, kill team, and kill team is a variant of I want to say traditional in inverted commas Warhammer, where you'd have like a team of fifteen or so, sort of a, a bigger army, basically facing yeah. off each other against each other kill team instead focuses on very very small teams on a, on a much smaller environment having yeah. skirmishes like uh chris you and i played v commando and it's very sort of similar in that regard where you enter terrain one team might be protecting certain objectives and the other team are trying to destroy or capture those targets uh, in the round and you fight in the traditional sort of warhammery way so that was my kind of feeling of going into it. Find it, I can I can get a kill team for about thirty thirty five quid, and they'll be my team, and I can play with them and paint them, and it's quite a nice little entry way of of getting started. Once I got into the shop, um, I realised that it would be it'd be much more beneficial to me to actually invest more into it than I'd originally intended. <laughs> Because I don't own the Kill Team base set. So for me to play Kill Team, I'd always have to arrange to meet up with a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And then I'd always have to be playing the same Kill Team. And I know what I'm like. I'd end up buying another one and another one just to get some variants and all this kind of stuff. And also, I am not the biggest fan of how Warhammer and kill team actually play in the the minutiae like chris dan i went in there and i've never heard the conversations like the ones that pete and ricardo were having just always going on about the lore and the history and sam sam do you think you felt like i feel when i go into comic book shops with you guys um just white noise <laughs> where i don't really have any idea what's going on i'm just kind of waiting for you guys to be done and then we'll go <laughs> um, no, I wasn't. I don't think I was that that sort of put off by it. I just think it's just because I genuinely, I think it was, I had a realization in that moment that, huh, this is not what I enjoy about these games. Like, mm. I, I realized that for me, that whole law side of it and that sort of what feels like very po faced feels a bit ridiculous to me, especially when in moments of like kill team you'll spend ages rolling dice yes you got the shot in oh it's pierce the armor oh you roll another dice but you didn't wound and you're meant to be this massive great big captain and you're one foot away and you don't do the damage that you're doing and, it, and the fact that it's so po-faced really flies against that that kind of element of, of like rolling dice i guess hypocritically those are the kind of things I enjoy in XCOM, but XCOM never takes itself too seriously. Like you can be going from one place to another in XCOM. That's a simple going through a door, but your soldier instead will crash through a window using a cinematic and do like a forward roll and perform the action they want to do. So I think it was just in that moment, I it was crystallized in me that what I actually would enjoy from this hobby is owning my own complete game experience and also a variant of of Warhammer that leans into that silliness a little bit, leans into 
uh, that um, sort of random style of play. So I picked up Blood Bowl, Mm-mm. which it, in in my mind I've just got this vision of of, of in the shop like Sam looking around and then start picking up one bit and then two bits and then more and more and more and then Pete just standing behind him going yes yes more <laughs> more. <laughs> <laughs> nearly I, I i have to at this point all joking aside i have to credit pete for how brilliant he was in this entire like situation oh. like, he really could have gone to town and gone right okay you got blood bowl now you need this and now you need that and now you need this paint now you need that paint pete had come up to mine traveled all the way from bristol on a bus with his own little backpack full of like paints and brushes and little like starter like models that i could learn how to do like the basics of painting on so pete was brilliant because he just went to the shop and just said get what you want then we'll get back to yours and then we'll just and then we'll figure out what other things you might need yeah like yeah because like because like honestly the the thing that the thing that puts me off all tabletop stuff or used to and why why I dropped it for a really long time and only really picked it up recently is that there is a lot of that encouragement to yeah. like okay well you are going to need these four paints to do this one section of armor oh and by the way this this other section of armor completely different paint scheme you're going to need four more paints and it's like it's like ah that's not it's not necessary at all and then like oh it's like um ricardo bought a team for blood bowl cuz one of the yeah one of the reasons why I picked up Blood Bowl is the fact that I can introduce it to Chris and I can also play it with Ricardo and anyone who comes round and wants to play it, I've got everything I need to play it. Right. I don't have to rely on someone else to right. to provide that's, all the kit for me. That's and exactly it, yeah. So Ricardo bought a team when he was there and in that box you just get the 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 stuff to make the miniatures of your team and then a piece of paper this little flimsy piece of paper which details what your team is capable of and they're like special moves and their strength and their movement speed and all this kind of stuff but if you spend an extra six quid you can actually get the cards in a separate box which has all that information on in a different and like as as you when you start to drill down on it and it's the same in and in in blood bowl you can essentially do like player drafting if you really want to and there are these really highly skilled players that you can have on your team now you could just be normal like me well not normal is probably not the right term but you could just be sensible like me and know what would happen to my life if if i actually did this (laughs) and just say that player is this character or yep. you can go out and spend the money buying that specific miniature for that specific character just yep. to use on the on the and, table. And the thing with all of these games, I would say, is that like, is that like, I think especially with Blood Bowl, like one of the really good things that I like about that game and and box games that are quite confined in that way is like you're done. Like yeah. if you if 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 you don't if you didn't want to paint any of them, the only thing you actually would need is a pair of clippers and glue to put the actual models together. Like yeah. you could now just play that game forever and have a great time with it. And as you say, you don't the other person who you're going to play doesn't necessarily need to know the game because you can introduce them to it rather than uh, a game like let's say I don't know hordes or something like that. Like where it's like, have you got your horde? 
Cool. Have you got your horde yet? Do we know the exact rule set that we're going to use? Yes. Okay, brilliant. Now we can play as long as we've got scenery and dice and all this sort of stuff. Whereas with this, it's like, get the get the board out, get the dice out, get the ruler out, we're done. Like, yeah, it's, exactly. and it's, it's, mm. it's really cool in that way. And also, do you know the rules of most sports? Because we're <laughs> going to be using them a lot here. And it's like... Because um, we, should, we should probably explain what Blood Bowl actually is. So, Blood Bowl is, and at some point, Ricardo and Pete went, the most nerdiest I've ever heard, Pete, is when he explained to me how, in universe, they're able to explain how different yeah. teams face off against each other in Blood Bowl. It's, br it's brilliant. <sighs> anyway, so, Blood Bowl <laughs> is just American football as as if it was in the Warhammer yeah. universe, really. So, two teams are competing against each other to get um, the ball from one end to the other. And in traditional American football way, you can do this by just taking the ball underneath your shoulder and moving it. You can pass it. Um, whilst the other members of your team are providing blocking and running assistance to the other players on your team. Yeah. yeah. Where the kind of warhammery bit comes in is the actual sense of blocking is a lot more vicious and... <laughs> aggressive to the fact that you know you're expected every time you fall down you do an injury roll and you're expected to kind of fall on your feet and you know you're expected to be injured and get hurt and also not all the players are necessarily good at doing the things that you're meant to be good at to be part of an american football team so the human team that you get in the base box are naturally quite fast and sprightly and good at all the running and jumping and the catching kind of things whereas the orc team aren't very good at that and they're kind of just a bunch of tanks who just bulldoze their way through through teams and squads mm. is it a fairly quick game sam how long does it last roughly play probably about two hours an hour and a half that's good yeah. which pretty good which is quick yeah about for so. a tabletop miniatures game generally. and because it's broken up in that kind of way where you have eight turns each a half and then the whole game gets reset as well it has just this natural pace to it where if you want to take a really long break at the end of one of the halves then you can do and what i was saying before about this whole element of silliness and how i've always struggled with that that's the kind of calling card of blood bowl is how that element of sport that it brings into it allows that element of of silliness and mm. ridiculousness to really sit happily along the surface like when you do a great move like i i was doing one with pete where i'd managed to manufacture a situation where i'd knocked all of his players out the way so one of my runners could pass through easily up to the field and i'd done that and they're in a great position and i, and I had the orc with the ball and i was like now he's gonna throw it to this player roll the dice the character effectively threw the ball into the ground, into the square in front of him. I was like, well, <laughs> brilliant. But that's sport. Like, that's yeah, sport. That's a ridiculous yeah. thing. Like, you can have everything going for you and at the last minute, something just goes, something just goes awry. And it means you can't get too cross with the game then because at the end of the day, it's mitigated by a dice roll sometimes, isn't it, really? Yeah. And, and the same role that means that you don't do the simplest things will also allow you to do the most audacious sporting yeah. stuff. That, yeah. that you can imagine and for me that's more satisfying than oh i've just hurt you two more than i was intending to hurt you on that 
on that turn yeah. like make yeah. completing that plus or completing that tackle or dodging out the way of the something in that sporting context is something i'm a lot more interested in with blood bowl and again in introducing people into this mindset of of how miniatures games behave in terms of we've got a role for that now now you've got a role for for this and you're rolling mm. to see if you do also that language makes a lot more sense in a sporting game so it's just like blocking right i'm hitting you right you fall on the floor so there's got to be some sort of consequence for that so you've got a roll to see yeah. if you're injured or if the ball goes off out of play there's a little scatter ring and you roll to see in which direction it goes because the crowd just throw it back you roll to see how many times it bounces in that direction so mm. it does it does a lot of these things that in the sporting context i just feel yeah. a lot happier and a lot more comfortable dealing with like i just enjoy that more and and also knowing that i don't have to get anything else i don't have to buy anything else i mean i bought a foam inlay for everything to, to yeah cover. thanks for that video and whatsapp today <laughs> I, I mean we've talked about them before but that is you know the felder magic you know you mm-hmm. you buy the box and then you buy the foam to go in the box so that the box can go away neatly Ah, oh. sometimes Pete, I don't know what you get excited about more. The things that go in the foam or just the foam itself. It's foam. Foam is incredible, Chris. However, it does make the box too big to put in the actual uh, player guides and the actual pitch. So they That's have fine. to sit away separate. Keep them to one side. You'll be all right. Put it on your mantelpiece. That's what Pete would suggest. <laughs> just frame it. And in, you enjoyed the um, the other the other part of this experience is obviously like that sort of mindfulness of like sat there like painting something right yes like oh my god like i chris this is something i really like and this is the other great thing about blood bowl is that like i now have 23 miniatures that now need painting and they're all quite simple to paint and as long as they're painted the same colors i'm not really fussed what they look like as long as you can tell they're all on the same team so it's really easy now for me to go if you want to chill out for a couple of hours on afternoon let's just paint a miniature each like super simple but and can you paint it how you want Sam I know it sounds a really silly question but is, um, it, is, it, is, it, is it prescriptive in terms of how you paint these because I know Pete was talking about in terms of different types of paint for different armors like do you do you feel that pressure to have to paint it in a particular way it's, okay but prescriptive I mean like they all need to look like they are on the same team in that yeah, in that's that specific I mean, but you game. can do that in a variety of different <laughs> oh, ways Chris I've got the best example about this right I've got the best example so so Pete was like, oh, yeah, you can you can paint them whatever you want. Like, oh, as long as you can tell they're on the same team, paint whatever colors you want, whatever. And like Lisa was like hovering in the background and she's like, oh, I like painting. Can I paint something? And Peter bought some doors with him, some some like riveted doors. And Lisa was like, oh, can I paint one of these? And like Pete was like, yeah, but you have to paint it gray and it's steel. <laughs> and, Lisa was, and you just saw Lisa's face go, no. Oh. <laughs> Like, I wanted to paint the nice rainbow door. Well, yeah, exactly. Because, yeah. like, you, you know, you can give with one hand but take with the other. This is the other reason that I don't, I just, I just don't want to enter the rest of the world outside of Blood Bowl because yeah. at the moment I'm painting my orcs how they are in the book just so I've got a bit of a standard of, like, this is how they should look. But with my humans, I'm going to decide a completely different color scheme. Yeah, it's a great. That I want idea. them because because I can I can as long as I can tell they're all on the same team, then that's that's the way I'm going to do it. Pete, would you say and correct me if I'm wrong? Would you say that kind of a lot of the time you're driven initially by the miniatures, 
and then as a secondary aspect the game around that whereas sam seems to be driven by the game and then as a bonus i'm going to be able to paint these miniatures but i'm not going to paint more miniatures unless there is another game that gets me which involves this this aspect no i i'd actually say I, I would actually say it is always about the game first for me. Like, there's there's a bunch of new releases recently that... I, no, you know what, Dan? I, actually, that is really perceptive. I mean, I don't I think, think I, I, there's, I, no, there's no right or wrong answer there. They're both, they're both equally valid. I think valid. it's 50-50. I think genuinely it's 50-50. Like, there's, um, there's a new one that's come out that I was sort of interested in. And the and the game sounds like it's pretty good, but there aren't any miniatures in it that like I that get me like oh that looks fun oh I'd love to paint that and so I'm like ah I'm sure it's fine but I'm I'm not going to play that right now I'll I'll wait it's fine you know and when the miniatures come out that are the ones that I really want I'll be like yeah cool okay I'll, I'll give that a go because the game sounds good but I won't play a game. I definitely the the game is definitely like the the minimum bar like mm. if the game's no good like I, I won't bother painting the miniatures because I am definitely painting those miniatures what, to would, what are you more likely to buy a game which is fine but has incredible miniatures for you to paint or a game which is great but you're not really interested in the miniatures yeah probably that first one a game that is fine yeah so I'm not I'm not suggesting you'd buy a bad game just to get the miniatures yeah, yeah. But on the basis that they meet a certain threshold, you would value the miniatures over the game. Yeah, as long as as long as I like the game, yeah. I would. I, I think I would probably be like, like the miniatures are the thing where it's like I'm going to spend like six hours on this one model. Like I like if they're not if it's not fun to paint, I'm not going to play the play the thing. Mm. Yeah, I think I think probably that actually. Whereas Sam, you're in the you're in the probably the opposite way of this is a game that I really like, and there's also this whole aspect of the painting miniatures which is great that I can enjoy, but I'm only going to paint those miniatures if I've got a game which requires that aspect. Actually, no. Um, I, I I went into this weekend feeling, knowing that I just wanted some miniatures to paint. I've always wanted to do it. And it just so happened that a game existed which kind of ticked all of those those boxes. Gave me miniatures to paint, gave me a complete set that I knew I didn't need any other auxiliary things in it for other people to play with me. Like, I'd only ever played Blood Bowl, the computer, the, the PS4 version uh, previous to this. So I didn't even know that I really would enjoy it 100%. Like, I just wanted to know, making this investment, I just wanted to know that after I'd had the experience of painting the miniatures and before I'd completed painting them all, I would be able to enjoy that game and to be able to have the experience going into it but but before i went into it all i wanted to do was get some miniatures and and paint them because I, I wanted that that's the experience i was i was going into it for me the crux of it and what we started this conversation on about is that is that feeling of there was a three of us all sitting down at the table all taking part in a very similar mm. activity all mm. sitting in silence except for listening to the x and chris i cannot wait to get you into this new radio station that Pete told me about, Shonen Beach FM, yes. the Japanese radio station. I've not stopped listening to it. Incredible. Since Pete introduced me to it. And it has just what, like... What, what type of music are we talking? It's a mix of... During the day, they tend to play a lot of sort of a downbeat jazz and kind of like 90s, 30s and 40s uh, numbers. And then at some points, they'll just pop up and someone... Like at the weekend when we were listening to it, someone just popped up for an hour and was just playing like RJD2, Bonobo, Alice Russell, Spanky Wilson, oh, and then disappeared and they just started playing jazz again. And it just seems like 
you know a, a beautiful radio station and it was just and it just set the perfect mood and we were all sitting there and it was one of those situations that the moment you recognize the situation that you're in and you tell other people about it you know you're going to ruin it yeah you know like you the if i'd if i'd sat up and just gone we haven't said a word to each other for an hour I, like that would have just like ruined the whole moment but it was just like we're all sitting there listening to music like you're very very concentrated on one kind of thing and especially when how the how the painting process works and how pete taught me how to do it you literally spray the model white to start with and then you're slowly building out on top of that white and and slowly as these features become more and more defined and slowly you're like almost like bleeding life into this little like miniature in its figure and it's just fantastic you just take a step back after a couple of hours and just go i know i've only done like this tiny tiny thing but i'm super proud of this tiny tiny thing yeah, that i've just done like and i was showing it to lisa like look at this thing i've just done and, and she like paints properly and she's like yeah okay um, <laughs> it's no rainbow door is it but, <laughs> but yeah it was just it's that and that memory that 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 feeling and especially as we as me and pete talked about on the last podcast like how genuinely my mental health hasn't been at, at its best recently and i felt a, a massive degradation in it like part of that is like i've changed jobs recently so i'm doing less stuff that has that is involved with like instant gratification like i'm doing less stuff that has an immediate impact of of you've done a thing like I'm doing less um, work, which you get that immediate feedback of, yes, you've done a thing, go home. And it's more like now it's more like project based and you will spend months and months and months of of stress leading up to that moment where you've done a thing. And I didn't realize that originally, which is why playing things like Stardew Valley have been nice because it's kind of given me that 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 feeling again of like completing something and doing something. And 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 also and so that's why I'm taking back from this is kind of like it's given me that back that sense of just being able to hold something in my hands and very and and it has that wonderful tactility of being able to slowly bring this thing to life and at the end of a couple of hours you can look back at it and go that's progress that's a thing and i feel more relaxed now and healthy and you know let's go and eat some lovely vegan chocolate torts The listeners don't know this, but Pete is wearing sunglasses at the moment, and for some reason, him wearing this has just given him this air of superiority over the rest of us. And it's it's important to note that he's been wearing them for the entirety of this recording, and although it is still daylight, he's already made a point of saying it's not shining. The sun's not shining through the window next to him, so there is no reason mm. whatsoever for him to be wearing sunglasses inside. Dan, Dan, here's a question for you: When mm. do people put sunglasses on? when they're trying to shield their eyes from the sun right when when do they need to shield their eyes from the sun when the sun is shining into their eyes right when it's been hot right no 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 yeah so they so it's hot people put sunglasses on and then suddenly no, no, no. they all look no, cooler no, because because putting sunglasses on does not in any way cool them down it guards their yeah it, no it does actually that this is this is a this is a um <laughs> this is one of those like placebo effects. Like I believe that this is working, and it is. Pete, why why do people wear sunglasses when they ski? Because it's hot. <laughs> no, 
Mm. You can get what? Yeah, you can get you can get um you can get a suntan on a mountain. Yeah. Right. Doesn't mean he's hot. You, Pete, you look like a kid at my school who one day his prescription glasses broke and all he had was prescription sunglasses, <laughs> which he wore for <laughs> weeks at school. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I bet he didn't. I bet he was just like, I'm just going to wear my sunglasses. Ah, these this look is good my new affectation. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was like, right, I can either wear a hat, get a weird bag, or wear these cool sunglasses all the time. I wasn't skiving off the weekend with you. I was actually away on, um, yeah, yeah, strangely, yeah. video game business. Oh, video game, business. video game business. What, uh, ripping off, ripping off little kids and shortchanging consumers. <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> we do all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Idiots. Just, just walking around town centres with with well, boxes. Oi, oi! How, how old are you? Eight. All right, it's a surprise <laughs> mechanic. <laughs> I don't really know how else to describe it because, like. I was invited to, um, basically, it was a big thing for my, me job-wise. I was invited to do a keynote at a conference, which is a big thing for me. It's incredible. But it was a conference devoted to walking and video games, like my two favourite things. Chris. Yes, Sam. Can you answer me a question that I've always wanted to know the answer to? I'm sure I can just Google it, but I want, I want the words from one keynote speaker um, out of their mouth. What is a keynote speaker? So basically a keynote is essentially, it's an hour-long talk that generally opens a conference. Right, so you're like... And it's yeah. done by an important yeah, person. Yeah, I, I always thought of it as the, the headline act. Yeah. But you're first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, some keynotes, like I, I worked on a conference a few years ago where we had several keynotes and this conference had two keynotes. I was one of them from the academic side of things, talking about my own research as an academic in terms of walking and performance. And I've recently moved into video games, partly through this podcast, actually. And I really love walking simulators. I Mm. really love them as a genre. Mm. Well, uh, a polarizing genre. (laughs) So I I gave that keynote, which is quite cool. But the second keynote was by Kate Craig, who's the lead environmental designer for the Fulbright Company, like Gone Home, Tacoma. Oh, sweet. So I was chatting to her. She's really cool. And she gave this really great talk. I'm so glad she went after me, not before. And she was talking about the process of working on Gone Home and Tacoma. Mm. And she gave us a single image of their next game, which was hit completely blurred. So you couldn't tell anything. She was just kind of jokingly saying, this is our next game. Um, so I know nothing about that. <laughs> I did awful. kind of ask her, but she wasn't going to say, obviously. What, what were the colours? What sort of colours? Uh, yellows and beiges. Uh, right, that's the I exclusive. know exactly what it is. <laughs> Gears of War 5. <laughs> But um, so, but she, it was really interesting because it made me realise how often in academia we kind of read too much into things. Like, do you remember that Malcolm McDowell film, If, from the 70s, where about halfway or two-thirds of the way through the film it goes into black and white? And lots of critics were saying, oh, it's very brave of the director to kind of go into that kind of very alter and very artistic style. In reality, they just run out of money for <laughs> colour films, so they just went with black and white. Brilliant. And, like, she was talking about Gone Home and people were asking... We were basically... We were just asking questions. How come this? How come that? And she said, well, you know why there's no shoes in Gone Home? I was like, I never realised that. And she says, yeah, shoes are really difficult to animate, so we just didn't do them. Mm. She said, there's one pair of flip-flops. That's it. <laughs> and she, there's, there's a kind of a thing amongst certain circles in Gone Home fans about there's, there's one room in the game that you just can't get into. Yeah. And she, and she said, yeah, that's always irritated me because we, we, whenever we make games, if there is a door there, 
the player must be able to get through it unless we block it, like we put something in front of it. Because um, I, I gave a paper like a week later on Rapture where I talk about the fact that you've got doors that it's, lots of the doors don't open in that game, whereas they said they don't like doing that apart from this one place. And that was basically because their deadline moved up and I think by two weeks and it just didn't give her enough time to do the animation because it was like a small team that was doing it. Mm. So getting all these kind of insights was really quite cool. And I met some great people. I played um, some great games at the Expo as well from academics and um, professionals in the business industry folk and um, saw some great papers. And then the week after, I went to Cork and I presented another paper on a panel on walking simulators and hauntology and everybody's gone to the rapture, Jeez. which is pretty cool. Um, so I just, I'm just loving the fact that I can, I can kind of put on my PlayStation 4 and just say, yeah, this is <laughs> it's this research. research. Yeah, I spent about, gosh, a week solidly during the days playing Rapture, making notes. And I was really worried it was going to ruin the game for me. Because you know how it is often studying the thing you love. It can yeah. kind of yeah. demystify it a little bit too much. The best way to hate Shakespeare is to study it. Yeah, but actually, no, it, it, it's still my love for that title and that genre is still there. Um, but yeah, it was just it was just an absolute joy, really, to kind of be representing my uni in the pod and to kind of be combining my job and my passion which i never ever thought that would happen really, really exciting man. yeah it's cool but on the flight okay. um literally i played um a mobile game that was that took it took me the length of time it took us to get off the runway and into the air from manchester airport that was florence the mobile game you play oh, florence at all i've heard oh, of this this florence. one this was like really critically acclaimed mm. it's a really short little title i didn't really pick it up straight away it first came out on is last year yeah and it kind of just passed me by <laughs> sorry and... it sounded like because you sort of slurred your words a bit it sounded like it came out on your ass <laughs> sorry i think i'm heat drunk it's fine or just, um, or just drunk. You're it's, drinking. It's by, yeah. There's only one. But it's by um, it's by Ken Wong, who worked for us two games, like Monument Valley, Monument Valley Two. Yeah. All oh, right. And he left us two, and he's created his own company back in Australia called um, Mountains. And it's essentially it's an interactive novel, for want of a better word, where you you are you pick up and you follow this 25 year old called Florence, and it's basically her. Uh, she goes on this kind of whirlwind romance. Yeah. And in a very short period of time, you go through this incredibly moving experience. Um, so at the end, I kind of really wanted to call my, my partner, my girlfriend. Obviously, I was on a plane, flight mode. Um, couldn't. <laughs> and, um, but it's got this really lovely mechanic where no words are really spoken between them at all. There's no text in the game. The way you assemble conversation is literally you assemble it. Like, okay. And the shapes of the puzzles tell you the nature of the conversation. So the pieces are kind of rounded and they're intersecting with each other. It means that it's a nice, light conversation. It's very friendly. If it's jagged, that means conflict. And they would tell, wanted to try and kind of tell this kind of story in a manner that eschewed violence. And it felt like it was a bit of a puzzler as well. Mm. And the puzzles are incredibly light. I mean, incredibly light. You won't need to look at any walkthroughs or anything like that. But it is a really, really delightful experience, a really, really lovely kind of experience. So I, I can highly recommend Florence. I think it was a lovely game. And I heard about it through the conference. Somebody mentioned it in a paper there. And um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Very short. With very, very short. I mean, shorter than Old Man Journey, Sam. Much, wow. much shorter than that. I, yeah. I always thought that you wouldn't, like that interactive fiction, like a, a narrative game, you wouldn't really enjoy. Yeah. Like, you know, something that's like a straight up, like Phoenix Wright or um, Snatcher. Yeah. Those kind of those when you just like 
pressing A to move dialogue along. Like yeah. that's really all the the interactiveness that has in it. So so was it a lot like that? You know, just characters talking at each other and you witnessing, or is it more puzzly? Do you think it's well, it, it's. I kind of rendered it a disservice there because, yeah, there is conversation, but a lot of it is in through these kind of interesting gestures. Okay. So when when um, she's remembering something from her past, you literally kind of, like, rub your finger across the screen and it reveals that memory. Or when, uh, spoiling a tiny bit, when she, she ends up moving, this, this, this guy she meets moves in with her, you take his stuff out of the box and put it on the shelves, but not everything fits, so you have to take some of her stuff into the box. Okay. So okay. it's so it's a little thing that gesture, but it works. You're you're thinking not so much about the gesture, but actually the weight of it. Mm. That gesture, what that means, I suppose, in in the context of this game, and it's full of those little moments. And actually, the mechanics, to some extent, if you want to be cynical, are quite repetitive. Mm. But the context they're placed within gives them different weight. And you're thinking much about you know when you first move in with somebody, say for the first time, and the politics of not wanting to encroach on somebody's space or they're encroaching on your space, say, for example, and how you negotiate that. It's really interesting. You kind of get that in a very microcosmic fashion on your mm. phone in a very short space. Mm. Uh, and I was it, it really affected me. It really moved me, actually. It was a really kind of moving experience. Um, I don't know if it's because it's something we've all experienced, dare I say yeah. it. It's largely universal. Yeah. Uh, but um, whether it, it took me that way, whether if I played this years ago whether I, I lacked the experiences and I wasn't perhaps mature enough let's say I don't know um, but yeah it's it's an interesting game actually I can see why people like it but just remember it's it's not a very long game it's not a very long game at all but it's, but it's, it's three quid on the on the play store yeah so. exactly I mean it's it's a great experience but don't expect to play it in stretches say for example no. you'll just play it in one go I, uh, I also played a, a pretty short game uh, as well um, recently and uh, it was uh, one of our Boy Bob Bonte, uh, his Bob Bonte. Uh, Bob Bonte. Uh, he, uh, he he put a new he put he put, <laughs> he, put um, <laughs> he put a new one out called Blue. Oh, I was gonna say it wasn't pink, was it? So, it wasn't pink. I was really gutted. I was like, yeah. oh man. Um, so yeah, uh, out Blue, uh, which is the fourth in the uh, in the now quadrilogy, I guess, of color named uh, mobile games, and uh, it was also short. I I, I I hoovered it up in about forty minutes. Um, but it, it also is a is a, a puzzle game. I mean, we talked about them before, but I uh, it's it takes a lot of the. You were talking a little bit about the like repetitive. And now that I've played all four of the games in in kind of quick succession, there are a lot of things that I'm starting to see are they're kind of similar ideas being explored again and again and again. And I actually quite mm-hmm. like it. And I the the thing that I think Blue does really well because I was I was we're really worried about this this fourth one because I was thinking, well, how much more could he do with these ideas? And actually, the answer is quite a lot. This is like the most sophisticated version of of the four games. Um, to the point of like, there's a puzzle where you're literally controlling almost like um like a uh, like a base war esque triangle around the screen, and you have to like zip, you have to like fly over other triangles to to hoover them all up to clear the screen to make sure that it's yeah. all blue so that you can move on to the next level. And like there, uh, he brought back the idea of um, like hooking a a thing onto uh, hooking the number up onto the top of like something that looks like a like a, a a screen almost like a like a kind of almost like a what's not like a like a blind and you hook it up onto that and then 
but also then there's a really interesting twist on that puzzle as well and then there's like a, a little I'm saying some of the early ones but like there's a little cork that you pull out of something and it feels very tactile it almost feels like he's kind of moving in the direction of almost stuff like like WarioWare almost like WarioWare touched like like actually trying to do slightly more physical things on the screen which I found really really fascinating but it also is just a really nice wordless yeah puzzle light puzzle me time kind of game you know what is the theme tune to spider-man what is the theme tune because i've forgotten what it is what, the, the film spider-man no. yeah that Spider one i may have just made um, did i just make that up i don't know yeah no, catches no. flies okay one? right so what but what are the lyric spider-man spider-man Spider does whatever a spider does whatever can. a spider can right um, so first of all spins, no, 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 a, web. spins a web catches flies, flies. let's analyze I, I, okay. I, made, I made up the lyrics like like climbs the wall swims in baths when you come in he crawls on the floor that was what i came up with that <laughs> no, spider-man spider-man does whatever a spider can spins a web um no something 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 catches thieves just like flies watch out there's a spider-man right See, but i don't know what that's something 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 but it's, right. it's definitely like spins a web in the skies something. catching thieves yeah. just spins like flies in the skies Hides behind a toilet rim. <laughs> Look out. Look out. Scares you when you least suspect. Watch out. Sp Spider-Man hides behind the toilet. Oh, it spins a web any size. Spins a web any size. Oh, my God. Challenge accepted. Oh, my accepted. God. One, two, three, four. There are four. Oh, my God. There, there's a whole song. The Ramones sang this. So Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can, spins a web any size, catches thieves just like flies. Look out, here comes a Spider-Man. Okay. Is he strong? Listen, bud, he's got radioactive blood. <laughs> can he swing <laughs> from a thread? <laughs> Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes a Spider-Man. Yeah. And then oh, you remember? Weird... Yeah, that was it. That thirty-minute opening sequence they had to every Spider-Man cartoon. I like the idea that then... you think the Ramones have made a song longer than a minute and a half. <laughs> so what's the third verse? Um, then there's a weird, like, codery bit, which in the chill of night, at the scene of crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Right. And it's Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, wealth and fame. He ignores action is his reward. So I love the fact that the third verse is Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood. Spider-Man, they're really running out of stuff now. Well, the fame he ignores, action is his reward. Look out, here comes Spider-Man. And then they repeat that. Um... Forever. <laughs> Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighbor Spider-Man. Wealth and fame he ignores, action is his reward. To him, life's a great big bang-up. Whenever there's a hang-up, <laughs> you'll find the Spider-Man. It was at that point they realised that only the first verse would make it into the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like the um, EastEnders is a song, isn't it? Everybody also, falls in love. Also... The theme tune is inaccurate, right? So, what was it? Money and fame, he... What does he do? He, he ignores. Money, money and fame, he ignores. Like, I'm pretty sure his entire backstory is built on him not ignoring fame and money. Well, no, but he ignores it now as Spider-Man. Like, oh, right. Really so now that, he, now that he's gone through the bad stuff... Yeah, otherwise the song would be Peter it. Parker, Peter Parker. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Peter Parker, he's just normal. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's very rich. Like, uh, he's Peter Parker. <laughs> Did you, it, here's an interesting fact. Did you know that the, that the Star Trek theme tune, the original series, has lyrics? And they were written by, I think, Star Gene Rodenbury, just Trek. so he'd get royalties oh, to the music. Oh, my God, it's Star Trek. That is Star Look Wars, Star not Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I just thought I'd tease Pete. Uh... 
I'm boiling with rage. <laughs> the Star Trek theme. It's all right, Gandalf. Will, the Star uh, Trek help theme you. is one thing that always annoyed me about the new films, um, because like the new films came out and I really enjoyed like the the new films and like they kind of they did some interesting stuff and they were like, big budget films and then at the end yeah. kind of credits come up and the old music hits. It's there. And the music just feels so televisual. I don't know what it is. It just feels so out of place. Yeah. It just feels I so mean, out of place in like a big budget movie. Right at the end, you're kind yeah. of like, oh, oh, no, it's a letdown. And it's weird because that's the original series theme, right? Like, oh, yeah, There is yeah. no Star Trek theme, right? And it's like, yeah. and it's, I guess it's a product of the fact that they had to that's the universe they're playing in right they're playing in the original series stuff and they're like well if we don't have something go but listen, you look like, at you look like, at spider-man and spider-man uses that original theme but it it, it puts an orchestra behind it and it, it and it slows it down and it adapts it and it remixes it so it's still there it just it doesn't feel just tagged on at the end fun fact dan same composer michael giacchino same composer for the star trek films and the spider-man homecoming and spider-man far from home um, yeah, we saw Spider-Man Home, Far From Home, didn't we, Sam? We did. Well, Where we was saw it? both did. of them. In the cinema. More recently, we saw Far From Home, yeah. We did see it in the cinema, Pete. <laughs> At the yeah. Odeon Deluxe, is it called? Odeon, Odeon Lux. And Odeon uh, Lux. how far from home was that? Well, it's about six miles from my home. Oh, A little bit more from I, Pete, I, uh, from Chris's. Right. Oh, let's just move on. <laughs> here's, here's my hot... Okay, right. Here's, I'm going to use all of my old school journalistic uh, uh, interviewing te- uh, sort of techniques now, and I'm going to ask the most important question, which is, is it good? I think it's very, very good. And importantly, it's the best way to wrap up the Infinity Saga. Is it actually the end of the Infinity Saga? Yes. It's yes, the end a, of Phase 3. Pretty much infi- officially the last movie in Phase 3, and it, and it ties up um, everything. Uh, I'd say it's a must-watch if you uh, liked Endgame, really, and mm. liked that past sort of series. It's, okay, that's um, it does. When it was announced that Spider-Man was going to be coming out so far, af- so soon after um, uh, Endgame, I I was very very skeptical because I thought, oh right, they're just going to be starting on Phase Four straight away. Like, geez, this is you know, not even giving a. a a moment's rest. So I, was, I, I originally I didn't really want to go and see it, but you know Chris forced my hand and sure. persuaded me to go yeah. and see it. You know what he's like. It's only six miles. With, it's not that far from home. Within within five minutes of this starting, you're just like, okay, brilliant. They 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 have they've managed to tie up everything that happened in Endgame within the first five or six minutes in this film in the most perfect and elegant way that I could have possibly... Pete, I, I mean, he, he was laughing before the rest of the cinema started laughing. He, yeah. he preempted it. He was already chuckling as, the, as it was beginning. The first, the first like, 10 minutes of Spider-Man Far From Home is it, just the best coda to what has been, you know, the last 10 years of, of Marvel movie making. And, and you come out of that 10 minutes and just like, right, I've, I've got no questions about spoilers what happened in those five years that everyone left like i've i've got no questions about the state of the what what state the world is in like i'm completely up to date let's go and have some fun with peter parker and and his friends and how how much do you think that's to do that that kind of reaction is caused by having tom holland in that role who's just an inherently likable 
screen presence and will just carry and just immediately once you I, it's the same when i saw because i've not seen far from home but i remember seeing homecoming and just you immediately feel comfortable with him kind of on screen in that role and you're just happy to be swept along you know you're going to be going up going on, going off on an adventure and you're just happy mm-hmm. to go be along for the ride is that do you think that's part of why you were so happy with that opening the opening has nothing to do with um peter parker it doesn't mention him it's completely not really completely separate but because you make it you make a good point in a way that like the the opening does does that heavy lifting which allows the the film to kind of then just like bundle along but that doesn't mean that tom holland doesn't also have like his stuff to deal his stuff to deal with in this in this film i guess spoilers for endgame but like the the biggest the, the biggest fallout from Endgame is obviously Iron Man dying, which kind of thrusts Spider-Man into this spotlight of um, whether he is going to be the next Iron Man, like whether he is going to be an Avenger or lead the Avengers. And because they get, they sort of tie up all the sort of wider universe kind of stuff around that, it gives you that time to to really like really focus in on where peter parker is in this movie and the fact that tom holland plays it so well and you and you believe that he is a teenager and that he is still 16 really hits home and for me it's the first spider-man movie that has really explored what what that responsibility does to spider-man like what that element of actually having to deal with this mantle but also just wanting to be a teenage kid does I, th- to, I think I think his him? Spider-Man is is certainly the first Spider-Man I've seen who you do get that feeling of he just what he does there's that element of him just wants to be a kid. I never got that from really Tobey Maguire. You didn't get that from Andrew Garfield, yeah. but with the Tom Holland you get that sense God, of no. I do kind of just want to go out with my friends. I don't want to have to deal with all this being a superhero nonsense. Yeah. And it and it's exacerbated a lot because of what happened because of what happened in Endgame. So it's just kind of set up for for a wonderful European adventure, and I guess spoilers for Captain Marvel as well. That the things that they do with Mysterio is also kind of in line with what they did with the uh, scrolls in Captain Marvel, which in its in the broadest terms, and to not spoil anything, is just to play a little bit with what your expectations of that person and what their motives possibly could or should be the fact that marvel well it's since been released now that they are what kind of their plans are for the next phase but the fact that they played so fast and loose with stuff in the trailer and then are very very prepared to kind of flip those on their heads and instead focusing on something else to do with the character i think is always exceedingly bold and interesting and for me it means when i go in to see a marvel movie now i should really not prejudge or preempt what's going to happen because they are very very keen to kind of flip things and origins and motives and all that kind of stuff on its head which makes it a much more fun experience it is always it's it's really interesting because endgame has now surpassed the record of avatar Mm -hmm. that they could do what lots of television series do because this is the most expensive television series in history that just happens to be playing in cinemas that's been going on for (laughs) decades you know over a decade now and they could just rest on their laurels but they're always playing it as if okay we've got one shot at this we better we could just just go crazy there's there's no way they're going to let us keep doing this and that and that's actually where 
their, their strongest films have been those kind of films in recent years, really. Well, they've, they've got a history of doing that, haven't they? Of just kind of, especially with kind of the third film, just kind of throwing caution to the wind and kind of bringing in a directing and kind of saying, have fun with it. That's how they brought Shane Black in with Iron Man 3, brought in, obviously, uh, Taika Waititi with, with Thor uh, Ragnarok. <sighs> they've got that history of of just bringing these folks in and saying, you know what, we've we've done the setup, we've done the kind of evolution of the character, let's just do something fun and different with it. Um, and I think that's, as you kind of said, that's where some of their most successful ones have been because those ones aren't, they don't stick to what is seen as the prescribed formula for what a Marvel movie does. Um, and often they don't sit as comfortably in that universe in terms of certain films mm have a job of doing the heavy lifting of the overarching story thor ragnarok everyone assumed was going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting for the infinity war endgame films and in fact it did none of that pretty other than the last shot it did none of that and that's kind of very very left field and i've got a history of doing that i think it's also the case as you picked up there dan is that with each subsequent film i imagine for people who haven't really entered marvel they're kind of intimidated by the prospect well there's no point me starting now because i just haven't seen any of the films before i'm going to lose the plot i'm not going to get as much enjoyment out of it and yes obviously you do get a special kind of enjoyment if you've seen all the ones and the tv series yada 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 but actually you could you could walk into the spider-man film now and what you get here is a kid as sam says context is given to you an exposition is given to you at the beginning yep. um it, it may not land with you at the same way but you're given some of it you're not just just thrown into it and they assume that you know and you've got actually a kid who is about living with this responsibility. He's mourning, his responsibility. Technically, he's an Avenger. What the hell does that even mean? And But he also, actually, it's about a kid who wants to get with a girl, essentially. Yeah. it's it's It does that thing that made me think of Back to the Future, where you've got Marty McFly, a kid who's not that smart, but can get the girls who is thrown into this world of science fiction. He has to try and work his way through it and out of it. Vis-a-vis -vis Peter Parker, a kid who has got the smarts, but just has that a beautiful, adorable awkwardness um, around trying to um, tell this girl he likes that he likes her and vice versa. And that actually is at the core of this, really. All that stuff and the pomp and circumstance and all the whizzy special effects going around the outside mm -hmm. are second to what is actually a really adorable story. Cringy at times and awkward and so, so familiar to me. Yeah. Also, it's the only time... Um, in a Marvel movie and probably actually in any film that I've seen in, in recent memory especially in British cinema that I've, I've heard the audience verbally gasp at something as well as being like probably the most crucial opening 10 minutes of, of a Marvel film the post-credit sting is probably the most crucial post-credit sting ever to be made by Marvel and it's so crucial surprising and genuinely <laughs> just people literally gasped when it happened when leaving the cinema that's all everyone talked about that was staying in with daniel frost sam turner peter willington and myself chris darby if you've enjoyed this episode please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts if you'd like to leave a review too we'd be really chuffed to bits Keen to dig further? Well, why not head over to stayinginpodcast.com. On it, you'll find our page on BoardGameGeek, our Steam curation page, and all the different ways you can follow us. At StayingInPod is where you need to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
For those of you who want to get fit and do so for a good cause, come and join our team. Just head over to your app store and download Charity Miles for your mobile telephone and look for us in the app at hashtag stayinginpod. Finally, we're gearing up for our second season of fantasy football. If you would like to join, just head over to fantasy.premierleague.com and our league code is MPV146. That's all one word, MPV146. Awesome. Well, see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.